I am glad to see you guys here today. I'm glad for the folks who are joining us online and can't, I'm not glad that you're not here though, just clarifying that folks that are online, I wish you would be here or could be here, but I'm glad you're at least joining us online. And it's good to see you guys here today and hopefully it's good for you to see me, maybe. <laughs> we're we're going to look at a couple of passages of scripture we're going to focus in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but we're also going to look at a couple of passages in the book of Numbers uh, because this it connects with what's written here in 1 Corinthians 10. We're not going to do every verse in this chapter. Some of it uh, we've looked at before, so we're not going to address that. So when I skip some verses, don't panic over that. If you're not sure what that means, you can ask my wife. She'll explain it to you. So. Um, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> I'm sure the people at home are laughing, right? They, they, they got it. So, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, in, in this beginning of this chapter, the Apostle Paul uses the word baptism, but he's not actually talking about baptism. Uh, in the scripture, the mode of baptism is by immersion, but Jesus and Paul use baptism as a metaphor for something intense that was going on in their lives. Jesus said he was going to be baptized with a baptism of fire. You know, he, he was going to face an intense time in the garden. And then Paul talks about uh, the people in the Old Testament crossing through the Red Sea. And they were not immersed, <laughs> but he calls it being baptized there, being identified with, clearly connected with the Lord. And so uh, when Paul uses it as a spiritual metaphor, uh, we understand it. He's not talking about them all hanging out by the Red Sea and he's baptizing them one by one by one. That's not what happened. He's talking about uh, the process that they went through, that it was significant that it had spiritual meaning and purpose in their lives. So he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, uh, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. Uh, the Lord pulled the water back. They walked through on dry ground. It wasn't even muddy. If you've ever been around a pond that has just been drained, it's still slimy, muddy down there. Until, But not when God does it. It's dry ground. And so they walked through that. And Paul's using this to describe their connection to the Lord. He said, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then in verses 3 and 4, all ate the same spiritual food. What was the food that God gave to the people when they started their wilderness wandering? Manna. And they made all kinds of stuff with that manna. Probably got sick of manna by the end of the journey, you know. Maybe they even had manicotti. I don't know. But they all ate the same spiritual food. <laughs> and they all drank, sorry drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. Remember when, when Moses at uh, one point struck the rock and that was the right thing to do, another point God told him just speak to the rock and the water would come out and he struck the rock and, and he behaved badly, but God blessed the people with water anyway. Uh, it just Moses had to pay a price for his not obeying the Lord. Uh, but but he said that that water that came out, that was a symbol of Christ, our rock, our salvation, the psalmist says over and over. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. They were believing in the Redeemer that would come, and they were believing in the little R redemption they just had coming out of Egypt, and the big R redemption we would have in Jesus Christ. So they all had the same blessings from the Lord, but some of them then didn't follow the Lord. Look in verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God was not pleased by their lack of faith. He was not pleased by their lack of faith. 
So they wandered in the wilderness, and then it says that their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So now I want you to mark this spot in your Bible. You stick your bulletin there. In fact, there's some spots for notes uh, uh, in your bulletin that we'll use later. And turn to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, and we'll start out in chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 1. And hopefully you've marked 1 Corinthians because we'll be going back there in just a minute. But he's saying their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And, you know, we, we, when Paul says it, it's just this little thing, right? I mean, yeah, bodies have died. People have died. When I was a chaplain, I was called out to roadside scenes. Uh, when there were fatal accidents and I dealt with survivors and officers and firemen dealing with the trauma of what was on there. And the worst one I was ever called out to, there were 10 or 11 people that died on the scene and then they had uh, seven ambulances take people away. And so, but when we think of, you know, scattered all over the desert, we don't think in the magnitude of what this was. Look in Numbers chapter 1 and verse 45. Numbers 1, 45. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go in, to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. The Levites were dedicated to serve in the tabernacle, so they weren't numbered to be men of war. So now turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14. And he's talking again about bodies scattered in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse number 6. I'm sorry, verse number 26. Numbers 14, verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Okay, uh, between these two things, the spies went out, they examined the land. How many spies were sent into Israel? Twelve tribes. Twelve men, one from each tribe. Twelve spies went in. How many spies brought back a bad report? Ten. Ten spies brought an evil report. And they swayed the congregation. The estimate of the size of the congregation of Israel at that point, based on the number of men mentioned in Numbers chapter 1, is at least two and a half million people. And ten guys swayed two and a half million people. Or maybe only the, they swayed the 600,000 fighting men and they didn't feel like fighting anymore. And so now those people have rebelled against God. They even talked about killing Aaron and Moses. And so now God's saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints with the children of Israel say against me. Verse 28. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The, now, they said they couldn't trust God. They couldn't go in there because their kids would die, because it was fierce. And if they went there, their families would suffer and die. And so now look what God tells them. Um, Verse 29, the carcasses of you which complained against me shall fall into the wilderness, into this wilderness. All of you who were numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you have said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. See, they were afraid to go because they wanted to provide safety for their kids. And God said, I'm the one providing safety for your kids, and your kids get to go in, but you don't. Verse 32, but as for you, 
your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Now, how did God do this? How could, could God speak from heaven and we clearly understand his voice? Yes. Does he normally do that in our day? No. But remember, the scriptures weren't yet written. This part of numbers hadn't yet occurred. And so God was speaking and and it was obvious from the way it's written here that the people could understand God. Sometimes he only spoke to Moses and then Moses spoke to the people. Sometimes he spoke to Moses and Aaron and then uh, they spoke to the people. Sometimes later on he spoke just to Joshua. But sometimes he let them all hear his voice. And remember in the Gospels when Jesus is baptized, they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They all heard it and they all understood it. So God is speaking very plainly to them. Now, I have felt the Holy Spirit speak into my heart, speak into my spirit, urge me to do something. God doesn't give new revelation today. God doesn't reveal something uh, to Gary that Gary needs to share with the world because it's new revelation from God. But God could reveal something to Gary to go talk to a neighbor when a neighbor's in emotional crisis and he can pray with them and help them. God can do that. That's how God works in us today, the Holy Spirit inside of us. But we have never heard from heaven a voice clearly saying what God wants us to hear. And so a lot of these people, this was a new experience for them. And so what's the news they get from God, this voice from heaven? You're going to die. And your carcasses will strain, strew, be st all over the wilderness. <laughs> God said it right. I get tongue-tied. So... Verse 33, your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who have gathered against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now, you can turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, when Paul was writing this, and when God was speaking in the Old Testament, how many men were there? 603,000 550. How many of those men died in the wilderness? 603,548. Joshua and Caleb didn't. All the others did. Now, that's a lot of people. So, to put that in perspective, 603,548 people all dying by judgment of God. This is not natural causes. This is not old age. This is not having a chariot accident or falling off your donkey and hitting your head and dying. This is the judgment of God consuming these people. So I looked at on the census information. Well, just, just that's an average of 290 funerals each week. So, to put that in perspective, for the last 10 years, the Pinal County average death rate for our entire county, 200, I'm sorry, 50 per week. They had 290 per week. So, to put that in another perspective to help us get, take the, the, uh, all the citizens of the city of Phoenix, not the Phoenix general area, the city of Phoenix plus the city of Mesa plus the city of Tempe. That many people have them all living in the town size of Casa Grande, the town limit size of Casa Grande in tents. 
all those people living in tents, all in this area, and 40 funerals a day. Man, that's got to hurt. I remember one year we started with five or six funerals in, in the first seven weeks of the year, and it was discouraging. You know they were with the Lord, but it was still hard. And, and what we learn from this is that not trusting God has significant consequences. When we choose not to trust God, there are significant consequences. So that victory, that's why one of the things we're trying to do, our motto, we're helping people trust and follow Jesus Christ, to learn to trust Him, to learn to follow Him, trust and follow Jesus Christ. That's one of the things, that's, that's a heartbeat of what we do. So Israel set a bad example. How many of you have learned something through the bad behavior of somebody else that you could share here in church? Anybody? Like, oh, Anna had her hand up as soon as I showed that you could share in church. Hmm? I know she was going to tell something on John. We're dying to hear it. Let us have it. Come on. No, no I, I'll share with you one. My brother was two years older. I had a brother one year older, brother two years older, and my brother two years older is still alive on earth. My other brother's with the Lord. And, and so uh, Jim and I, we, we grew up together. I, I was two years and ten weeks younger than him, and we did all kinds of stuff together. And then when he was 16, he was way bigger than I was because when I was 14, I still was not quite five feet tall. And so, so he was pretty big. He was almost his full si adult size. And he worked out all the time, bench pressing, you know, uh, working in the gym. And, and he was a pretty, pretty strong guy. And so I watched my 16-year-old kind of buff brother challenge my dad. My dad was, you know, 5'10", 5'10 and a half at the tallest. And, and he was trim. Uh, as he got older, he, he got less trim, but, but he wasn't a very big guy. And, and Jim could bench press way more than my dad weighed. And I watched my brother challenge my dad. And I watched the consequences my brother endured as a result of that challenge. And I learned something. And I never challenged my dad till I was a Marine, you know? <laughs> I, I learned, don't go there. And so we learn from the bad examples of others, don't we? And in fact, that's the best way to learn, isn't it? You watch somebody else crash and burn and you think, oh, I do not want to go there. And so you learn from reading books, you learn from watching people, and, and the Bible says we need to learn some lessons from looking at Israel. Now, we'll share those lessons in a minute. But let's look first at the bad example that Israel set. Um, uh, verse 6 says, 1 Corinthians 10, 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So they are an example to us. And you got to remember, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written, what's the blank? Not to you, but for you. All those things in Israel were written so that we could learn. I'm grateful every Sunday that we don't have to follow the Jewish dietary law because we have either sausage or bacon as part of our breakfast on Sundays. And I'm grateful that I get to eat that good stuff. Uh, but, but we can learn from everything that's in there. Everything. So... Here's one of the things we learn in verse 6. They made evil choices. They, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. They, they had a desire for evil things. Do we live in a culture that seems to be enamored with evil? Yes, we do. But there's some Christians who are just as bad of an example because they seem enamored with hatred. And when Jesus faced people who were enamored with evil, he showed kindness and called them to repentance. 
So they made evil choices. Uh, verse 7, they did not put God first. It says, uh, did not, do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They were behaving badly, immorally, idolatrously. They weren't following God. So they set a bad example by not putting God first. And then they set a bad example by, uh, by committing sexual immorality. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and fell in one day. 23,000 fell in one day. 23,000 people in one day. So if the people of Phoenix and Mesa and Tempe were all living in tents in a geographical area the size of the city of Casa Grande, we would have just lost one and a half square miles. All the people in one and a half square miles would have died. That was significant. Why? Because they were being bad. They were doing bad things. And you know what? You do enough bad things and what happens? The judgment of God. Sometimes it happens in this life. Sometimes it happens in the life to come. And let me clarify there. I said you do enough bad things. You do one bad thing. You're worthy of hell. You need to trust Christ as your Savior. But the Bible has given us example after example of people who continued doing bad things and they suffered greatly. So these guys who wanted to protect their families, you know, maybe there was a 60-year-old who was afraid for the health of his 40-year-old son and his 20-year-old grandson, and so he didn't want to go to war. Well, his son and grandson died in the wilderness with him because they were of the age of the fighting men. The Bible doesn't say that happened. That's just something I can picture happening. All right, now look at verse 9. It says, uh, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. They did not submit to the Lord. God had simple rules, clearly understood. They rebelled against those rules, and they died. Now, verse 11, or verse 10, they fussed and complained, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Hey, kids, do you guys ever complain? Do you complain about supper? My dad's rule, if you complained about supper, you got more of it. If God says complaining is bad. In fact, elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul says, do all things without murmuring and disputing, without complaining and fussing. God was not happy with their complaining. And by the way, Christians, that includes those who rant and rave about politics. Are there terrible things going on in our country in some places and in some ways? Yes. But don't be the fussy pants. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? <laughs> don't be fussy pants. Okay. All right, but, but God hated their complaining. They were destroyed by the destroyer because of their complaining. So verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Uh, theologically, from the ascension of Christ to today is called the end of the ages. It's the latter days. It's the last times. Now, that's a long time for us to think about 2,000 years being in the latter days. Uh, but theologically, at this point, Paul was probably expecting the Lord to come back in his lifetime, just as I expect him to come back in my lifetime. Uh, but, but the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. And we hold on to his promises and we wait patiently because he will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. So they were a bad example. Don't follow them. Sometimes as a parent, I shared before that we'd watch a show and we'd pause the show uh, or during a commercial if it was a regular show, show that we'd, we'd stop and we'd say to the kids, 
What were those kids doing wrong? What should they have done? So that we could learn from that. Because God hates disobedience and he hates it when we don't trust him. And so they suffered for it. Now, then he says in verse 12, therefore. So now he's going to give us a list of lessons that we need to learn. So they set a bad example, and now here's some lessons that we need to learn. So he says, therefore, therefore, because of their bad example, here's some things you need to get right. First of all is don't ever think you are spiritual enough that you won't sin. Don't ever think you're spiritual enough that you won't sin. Uh, Look in verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, this is a silly picture of a girl dressed up like an angel and lighted wings and and she's uh, lifting them up and smiling. It must be fun to pretend to be an angel. Um, and, and it's, but, but don't think that you're really that person. You're going to struggle. I remember when I was a young adult, I was a man and I was married and I had kids. And my dad and I heard a, a pastor speak, and he'd been a pastor for many, many years. And he said something like this. He said, you know, I am so mature in the Lord that Satan doesn't really bother me much because he knows he'll lose. But you people who are newer in the Lord, you've got to really watch out for Satan. Now, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. My, my dad and I looked at, and I talked to my dad afterward and I said, what was he thinking? I mean, to be honest with you, if you're a brand new Christian and you show up in church and then you get in all kinds of trouble, how's that going to affect the church? Not that much, right? But if you've been a pastor for decades and now you fall into sin, it's going to make headlines, sometimes local headlines, sometimes worldwide. It may go viral on the internet because... And I think that pastor had a wrong perspective. Maybe he'd gotten better at overcoming some of the temptations, but Satan never stops. He wants to wear people down. You're never so good, you can't fall. In fact, uh, I've always loved the guys who brag before a game and then get trounced. (laughs) You know... Do your bragging after the game's over and you've won. Don't brag about it. Actually, I don't think you should brag anyway. But, but listen, you are never going to be spiritual enough that you won't sin. If you think you're standing, be careful. You might fall. You can have a great day, maybe, maybe even a great week, but you cannot live sinlessly perfectly in this life. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with it as he shared with the church in Rome. You cannot live a sinfully perfect lifestyle in, on earth in this life. At some point, you're going to have a sinful idea or a sinful thought or you're going to do something less than the good that God wanted you to do. And it might be close, but you know, you're going to mess up. So every day, we need to work at following the Lord. And you, you need to be on guard duty with your own heart because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that we can be led away by following our own heart. We need to submit our heart to the Lord. And I think you also need to be able to laugh at yourself, to laugh at yourself because you're human. You're going to run into a doorway. You're going to neglect something important. You're going to embarrass yourself. You know, <laughs> there's a standard-sized doorway between the church office and my study. It's, it's just a standard-sized doorway. And I cannot tell you how many times I've plowed into that doorway. And occasionally, Megan does too. In fact, one day, I was laughing because she'd run into it. And I was talking to her in the office and laughing, turned around, plowed right into it. And she just laughed right back at me. You've you got to be able to laugh at yourself. 
You know, if, if you honestly think that you have to try and be perfect, then what's going to happen is you're going to do something that's not perfect, and then you're going to come up with what? An excuse. And in the process of your excuse, you're going to blame other people because you can't have the blame on you. I'm not pointing at you on purpose, Clorinda. I'm just, you know, you're going to blame other people, and, and, and you're not going to be able to take it and listen, I've got news for you. You're not perfect. Not only does God know it, everybody else knows it too. So don't brag. Don't try and lift yourself up. Laugh at yourself. And, and if you sin, then ask forgiveness and press on. Nobody expects you to be perfect, God included. In fact, there are people who say, well, God wants you to, to do all of the Ten Commandments and you've got to do them all every day. You know? Well, actually, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, the purpose of the law was to show us that we couldn't do it and that we needed a Savior. God does not expect you to be perfect in this life. The only one he expected to be perfect was Jesus, and Jesus was. Does God expect you to do better than you're doing? Probably. Does God expect you to raise the bar on your behavior? Definitely. But he doesn't expect you to be perfect because it's humanly impossible. So that's a lesson that we learn from Israel. Every time they got proud of how well they were doing, they fell into sin. A second lesson that we learn is, do not allow sin to overwhelm you. You can overcome. Don't allow sin to overwhelm you. I think this is a picture of Clorinda in her workout. I'm not sure. Uh. All right, look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. Pause right there. The sinful temptations you're going to face are common. Everybody faces them in one way or another. It's not unusual. You are not the only person in the world to have to suffer so. It's normal. Lots of people have faced this. It's common. Now let's go on. No, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Right, let, let me pause right there. Some of you have been through severe emotional and spiritual pain. And there was a time you weren't sure whether God was faithful. There was a time you weren't sure whether it was worth it to trust God. It is. Paul, who suffered way more than any of us, confirms excuse me, that God is faithful faithful. And then it says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, I have at different times called this God's torque wrench. God knows exactly how much you can handle. But don't get the idea that God will never give you more than you can handle, because that's simply not true. God will place you in circumstances that feel beyond your capacity. You're going to be in a circumstance that feels like, I can never survive this. I am not going to make it through this day. That's kind of how I felt trying to hike out of the Grand Canyon with my son Nathan. I told him at one point, I said, look... I am not going to make it. I'm just going to lay by the trail here and die, and you can hike out and let people know what happened. I, I just felt like I had nothing left, and he got me up and kept me going. You're going to feel like that, and God's going to put you in places where you're going to feel overwhelmed physically or emotionally so that you can be more dependent on him. Now, I got to tell you, this whole year, I never had a day where I just prayed, God, please let me survive this day. I live in the desert. I joke with Kathy that I live in the desert on purpose. I'm never excited when it rains. 
and Nathan and I were hiking. It was 110 at the bottom. We were hiking out, it, and the, the heat all reflects off those rocks, and, and I was praying for rain, and I was praying for deliverance, and I was praying for grace, and I said, God, you know, I was dumb enough to get down here, and now I'm stuck, and I can't get out. Just give me grace. Get me beyond this mistake that I have made, and, and man, when that rain started, we both felt better, and we sloshed through mud, but it was so much better than the heat, and, and we made it out, and he made it fairly easily. In fact, the only problem he had was going as slow as I had to go, but, uh, but we made it. And you know, I have not ever in my life prayed so much for rain or prayed so desperately just to survive a day. And yet that God puts us intentionally, directs us into circumstances beyond our capacity so that we cry out to Him and we rely upon Him instead of on ourselves. And God will never want you to trust him less. He always wants you to trust him more. But remember this, you are never beyond his protection. You are never beyond his love. Even when you have sinned, when you have failed him, he calls out to you and he calls you to repentance. He will give you the grace to overcome when you simply trust and follow him. He will make sure it may feel like you're overwhelmed. It may feel like you're beyond your capacity, but he will make sure that you're not. He sets a limit on the suffering you were allowed. And we have a vivid illustration of this in the book of Job, remember? In Job chapter 1, Satan's talking to God in a very weird conversation, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yeah, but you're really protecting Job so well, I can't get to him. And God said, okay, I'll pull back the protection a little. You can do anything you want except don't touch his life. And Job lost everything except his life and his wife. He lost everything. And then it happens again, and now Job loses his health in chapter 2. And so God has boundaries, and God will not allow Satan to go beyond the boundaries that he has put in place. So you can't suffer more than God will allow, and every suffering that God allows, Romans 8, 28, what does God do with that suffering? He works all things together for good. Have you ever eaten baking chocolate? I did when I was a kid. Got a big piece of my mom's baking chocolate because she used that baking chocolate, not bacon chocolate. That sounds really gross. Right, baking chocolate. He, he, she made brownies that were so good. It's like I got a chunk of that baking chocolate. Nasty. No, no sweetness in it at all. But God takes all the events of your life the nasty, painful stuff, and works it together for good to help you become more Christ-like in your life. So uh, the third thing that we learn from them is to put God first. Put God first. Look at verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Run away from it. What did Israel do? They flirted with it. They looked at it. They evaluated it. They even said, God, give us a king so we can be like the other nations around us. They were a unique governing structure. The only time it's ever existed in the world was a theocracy set up by God and overseen by God, and they rebelled against God. Now, in America, our idols tend to be self, we worship ourselves, or stuff. We worship materialism and gathering more and more. Uh, we're very self-centered, we're very obsessed with things. Um, but young people, God may want you to serve as a missionary somewhere. And, and if you have your heart set on success the American way, you might miss the opportunity to go do what God wants as God works in your heart and life. And by the way, if God wants you to be a missionary, that's the place where you'll be the happiest. Leonard Smith is a missionary that we support, Leonard and Susie. 
and they're down in Culiacan, Mexico, and just a mile or so away from where they have their church and where they live, there's um, one of the drug lords lives there. And it's a, a violent area. And Leonard said this when he was here at our church, the safest place to be on planet Earth is in the center of God's will. Be where God wants you. That's the best place to be. So um, maybe in your monthly financing, you need to make sure that you put your tithes and offerings first instead of last if you have enough left over. Uh, when you're dealing with coronavirus issues, are you putting the safety of your family first or are you putting trusting God first? Now, I'm not being critical of folks who aren't here today and saying they're not putting God first. But listen, if God burdens your heart to do something, you need to do it. And, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> Maybe you're driving down the road and you see a car broken down. And, and I don't always stop when I see a car broken down. But maybe you, you see a car broken down and you feel the Holy Spirit say, you should help these people. Don't say, oh, Lord, I can't. They don't have masks on. Obey God. Put him first. When you have failed and you have sinned, don't try and hide like Adam and Eve. Instead, run toward God. Run toward His grace, like David did in his sin. The first thing David did when he repented of his sin, he, the first thing he did was go and worship the Lord. And then he went to get something to eat. Each day, in little ways and in big ways, we can put God first. All right, so here's the fourth choice. Fourth thing, make wise choices. Make wise choices. This guy looks like a pretty smart farmer, doesn't he? In the picture there, he's looking out over the field maybe. He's going to evaluate. I don't know. Maybe he's not a farmer, but just had that appearance to me. Look in verse 15. I speak to you as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. We need to learn to make wise choices. <coughs> Now, the younger you are, when you learn to make wise choices, the better it is, right? So tell me some things that people tell younger kids not to do. Yeah, don't run in the street. Don't steal. Don't lie. Stay away from drugs and alcohol. Don't do it. Don't go there. Couldn't quite hear you, Ben. No snacks before supper? Oh, that doesn't work in my house. But <laughs> Don't eat too much candy. You know, these are all good things, but, you know, my house must have been different because it was like, don't blow things up, don't play with fire, don't play with gasoline. I, my, my family must have been different, but don't jump out of trees. Uh, don't ride your bicycle facing backward. Um, uh, you know, don't rollerblade down the stairs. Um, and, uh, you know. <laughs> I am a Christian and God has forgotten them. So I refuse to confess them because that's already been done. So, listen, each of those things that people weren't, some of them, they could really cause injury. They could cause problems. They could cause issues. And the younger you are when you learn to avoid those things, the safer you are. Like one dad told me, he walked into his shed, and his son's there, and he has a shotgun shell clamped in a vise, and, and he's putting a, a nail onto the end and about to hit it with a hammer. To make the thing. Now, if you've never seen a shotgun shell, the bottom of it's brass. And then above the brass, it's like paper or thin plastic. And the beads are all in that. And the part that's in the brass, that's where the, the powder is. And so you're going to, what the shotgun does 
it, you pull the trigger and this thing pokes and the firing pin hits the base of that shell and then blows it out. But what makes it go forward when it explodes is the barrel. And without a barrel, when you hit that and it explodes, what do you think happens? Those pins go everywhere. And the dad said if he'd been two minutes later, his son would have been dead. Why would he do such a thing? Sorry, kids. Kids are sometimes dumb. Sometimes, not all kids, but sometimes. The truth is, you're not dumb, but ignorant. You don't know. And that kid didn't know. And thankfully, he learned without blowing himself up. So you need to listen and you need to learn and you need to choose good things and wise things and make better choices, not just good choices, but better choices. And even if you have a family legacy of poor decisions, generation after generation, you can start a new tradition in you and in your family. And you can, uh, even if you've made terrible choices, you can actually start making good choices. So you can't unchange the past, but, but the future is all wide open, right? You can make wise choices now. And sometimes God in his grace removes all the bad stuff and leaves just the good stuff in the direction that you're going. Theologically, he does that when we confess our sins. But sometimes, even on earth, he lets you overcome all that bad stuff. So you can't change your past, but you can say today, I want to make wise choices. Because I look at the nation of Israel, and I saw the terrible choices they made, and I see how much better it is to choose to trust and follow God. I'm going to make wise choices in my life, listening to the Holy Spirit, not just to my human spirit, and I'm going to make changes. And you can do that at any age. You're never too old to change, and you're never too young to make wise choices. All right, number five, help others. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Help other people. You, you need to, our, our culture really teaches self-centeredness, you know. Follow your dream. Don't let anybody hold you back. Look out for number one, and they don't mean Jesus, they mean you. Look out for yourself. And God encourages you and actually requires you to look out for other people. That's what God wants to see in his children. He doesn't want to see self-centered dedication to their personal dream. He wants them to see them helping other people. Now, Jesus is the extreme example of giving your life for the good of others. You can't do what Jesus did, but you can give your life for the good of others like Jesus did. You can't die for their sins, but you can do what Peter's description in Acts 10 when he went to Cornelius' house, he described Jesus this way. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. You couldn't heal people the way he did, but you could go about doing good. You could become the nice person in the neighborhood. The people, all your neighbors are glad you lived there. So every day, do something to help someone else. If you say, well, I live alone, I don't always see somebody every day. Well, you don't live without a telephone. You don't live without access to mail. You could send them a card or write a letter. Every day, do something just to make someone else's life a little bit better. And even if you lose the capacity, capacity to write or type or talk, you can pray for people every day. Now jump down to verse 31. Verse 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Live in a way that might bring glory to God. Live in a way that might bring glory to God. Israel didn't, and maybe you haven't been, but we can. 
See, being part of this service here today, this is a good thing that brings glory to God when we gather together and we worship Him with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can do this. And, and so, you know, you've already done something good for the glory of God today. Now, maybe you could do something else. God is glorified when we trust Him. He's glorified when we love others. He's glorified when we are faithful. He is glorified even when we failed Him if we confess our sins and then trust Him to be faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent and seek His forgiveness, He's glorified. And He's glorified when we show His love, when we share His truth. He's glorified when we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Peter said. So remember that no one is asking you to be perfect, not even God. God is calling you to love and follow Jesus Christ. So begin or begin again or continue. Make spiritual progress. We can make spiritual progress even in a spiritually broken world because we can be the light in the darkness. As Jesus said, his followers could be. So we started with the question, are you learning? And we'll look at it again. Are you learning? You've already made one wise choice today to be here or to tune in online. Why don't you make another one, whatever that needs to be, make a wise choice and do something to help somebody else today. We can learn a lot from Israel. But most of what we learn is, don't do that. <laughs> there was a lot of things Israel did wrong over and over and over. And we can learn from that. And we can make wise choices. Father, I pray that you would truly help us. Help us see through the veneer of our shallowness. Help us to see the truth. As we read your word, may your spirit speak it into our hearts and lives. May we learn and may we grow. Please forgive us where we have failed you. Please strengthen us where we are weak. And thank you that you love us and you give grace and mercy to help in time of need and that we can learn and we can grow. I'm so thankful that we are never stuck. When we walk with you, there is always hope. We thank you for that blessed hope and a glorious homecoming we will enjoy one day with you. In Jesus' name.